All right, we're here with the Garment Repair Heroes, the Fix-It Fam, Fashion's Dr. Frankenstein's, the duo making Needle and Thread cool again, and the masterminds behind the United Repair Center. Tommy and Anna Laura, welcome to Pillow Talks. How the hell are you guys? Thanks. Good, awesome. Good to be here. Nice to talk about repairs. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, okay, before we really get into like the meat of the podcast, um, you know, this is a fashion podcast. So we'd like to do a little fit check with you guys first to like talk about, you know, how you pick clothes, what you wear on a day to day and how that plays into your vision on sustainability. So if you guys can walk the listeners through your outfit that you're wearing today, just briefly. Um, yeah. And then see how you like pick that outfit and how it's sustainable in a way. Okay, uh, I guess uh, I can start. Um, my outfits are Patagonia. Uh, my bag is Patagonia. Uh, so yeah, today is kind of a 100% Patagonia made. Um, and sometimes I feel like I don't have any other um, item to wear. And it's kind of uh, my closet is full of Patagonia. I'm minimalist, so I, d- I do have only one piece uh, that I like. Uh, most of the time, product can be kind of flexible and polyvalent so we can do use one item for different activities mm. which is I really like so just having one masterpiece and then you do use for skiing climbing so I would like to have I do have mainly Patagonia because they are sustainable and high quality and then can last forever um, and just to have one a few pieces to be able for me to do all the outdoor activities that okay, I so that's like a big part of your dress code oh, in yeah. a way is because you do outdoor sports yes yes i do okay. um kind of a variety of it i grew up in mountains so kind of like mountains king lakes uh water sports kind of every kind of activity so no high heels no uh, that's why when <laughs> i need to go out here in amsterdam i'm like ah, well uh <laughs> do i wear my fleeces i'm not so sure it fits well it's um, pretty it's pretty in nowadays <laughs> everyone's like as as of covid i feel like everyone wants to go outside more and now everyone's wearing like you know outdoor gear like it's called corp core i guess it comes from like uh the trail mix or whatever like gorp it's like the slang for it and the fashion community just kind of turned into this like trend now where all these like streetwear kids are just wearing climbing gear and like Patagonia and Arcteryx and North Face and they've probably never been to a mountain before but uh, <laughs> you're the real deal uh, we hope they get out of town <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and the five mountains <laughs> yeah sorry uh, five mountains and five mountains yeah in, in the Netherlands yeah, oh work. yeah yeah that, that, would, that would be tough for them <laughs> I'm curious though um do you guys notice that as well that there's like an uptick but like in like a new group of people that are wearing Patagonia or is it really like still the core I think it has uh, it can it kind of I'm I'm working for Patagonia for the past eight years now and so initially I come from Annecy so an hour from Geneva uh, so literally in the mountains where core sports like climbing alpinism uh, are, are quite a, a main activity uh, so I guess things that have evolved uh, over time and um, we become a bit a bit bigger here in Europe and when I go out now here into the city I'm, I'm surprised because we do have more uh, people wearing Patagonia for the good reason obviously um, but yeah we have we have seen uh, some um, other product be a bit more 
um, on the market. Um, whereas we, we still think we are technical items and we want to really, really focus on that as well, just to make sure that uh, we do have great knowledge and great um, durable like technical items for going alpinism, climbing, mm-hmm. and um, I think I think this is uh, something we, we want to look at it um, and uh, yeah to to keep having our community uh, with us. Um, and be- before you started working at Patagonia, because you worked for eight years, right? Yeah. Um, before that, you were already a member of the outdoors community. Yeah, I was just I I, I grew up there, so skiing, climbing, hiking, uh, skittering, swimming, whatever. Um, so kind of kayaking, everything that touch outdoor actually. So I'm a bit addicted to be outside and active in the outdoor. Uh, so that's why I just when you grew up in this kind of surrounding, you just you just by default want to protect it. Um, and so whenever you are young, you don't see that the snow potentially will disappear at some point. You just mm. take it uh, granted. Uh, mm. But then when you grew up and then you understand being an adult that you potentially can do something about it and protect it. And so that's why kind of uh, this is a... Something I've I've been always practicing outdoor and just want to protect these wild places. Uh, is is the um, is consciousness regarding sustainability or like more sustainable behavior is that a big thing in the outdoors community? Yeah, I, th- I think so, and I think we are becoming more aware. Uh, so we do have communities and we talk about it. So we engage a bit more with this community to mm. potentially to spread the word and potentially to to connect with the pro community, uh, alpinism, climber, mm. to speak about it. We have surfers as well to put in to connect more with, uh, let's say, in the West Coast, in France, for instance, to connect more with the issues linked to the oceans um, and all of this kind of climate change and kind of in-depth conversation so we get in touch with them mm. uh, to, to, make, to make a change together. That's cool to hear. I mean, that it actually lives, like the people that live outside it actually engage with it instead of the, the disconnect. But yeah. No. I feel like they're like the first people to see if stuff's going wrong as compared to like regular consumers who, you know, it's still very far <coughs> removed. And then you say like, oh yeah, what you, you know, shopping at H&M or whatever um, and buying clothes all the time, like it's really bad, but they would never actually see the impact. Whereas, yeah, I mean, people who like use the out or basically live in the outdoors um, they would be the first ones to see whether it's like plastic pollution or whatever it is like yeah if they can't really do what they love to do if there's no healthy environment so yeah that's always uh, quite interesting what about you tell me about the environment well about like let's start <laughs> with the outfit inner environment <laughs> yeah, let's start with the fit first yeah it's funny I was not prepared for the question but I'm happy I'm happy um, that in my case I usually try not to consume um, except if it really needs to but that's also connected to the fact that I at, at Makers Night I um, basically worn I, I all the, the tryouts and things that don't work on production I usually wear it so I'm, I'm wearing a tryout t-shirt of uh, Makers Night um, and then the things that we're gonna have um, this is a secondhand worker municipal workers jacket uh, but it's also super cool because it's 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 Italian denim and and it's like such an amazing thing and then I love the story behind the piece of clothing and this is this is really like pure Italian craftsmanship for municipal workers huh? the cleaners of the roads and um, 
I think it's really important to have connection with our clothes and understanding the work that sits behind it. That's that's part of what I do, and I'm lucky to have um, uh, the ability of understanding the value uh, by being exposed to this. I think the same thing that I mentioned about the climber, that it sees the mountain melting and then like, fuck, I have to take care of the can the 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 mountains. In my case, it's really connected to seeing the workers uh, building and repairing clothing and the amount of labor, love and 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 uh, experience that has to go behind this in order for mm. this to happen. Uh, once you're exposed to this, you really think your clothes differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, um, and this happened to me. I think roughly 10 years ago I was in Dhaka in Bangladesh and I didn't work for 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 clothing at, the mo- at that moment but I, I saw the saw the factories and, and saw the way Bangladesh works and how surreal it is to have all these small buildings full with people and everything is packed and people work in horrible conditions and then you have helicopters flying the town the whole day and there are the CEOs of big companies that are coming to inspect production and it's so surreal <laughs> and it's such a, a, a brutal contrast that you don't see this because you just get your t-shirt for five euro that's and that's what you need right so no problem not seeing the the, the 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 issues behind it so I really realized by seeing this and then I changed my my behavior towards clothing and that's also part of the work that we do is really also what you guys do is really bring clothing and the clothing experience as close as possible to the consumer so people can increase the value that they give to the clothing because behind clothing are just humans there's no robot making <laughs> your, your t-shirt there's a person and mm-hmm. this person has a dream an ambition and a value just like you and me mm-hmm. long story short yeah wear some clothes <laughs> <laughs> close with the story exactly <laughs> no, I like that yeah I'd be Definitely. interested to hear that because you know you're maybe a bit more coming from like a environmental background you're a bit more focused on social like what is your definition of sustainability when it comes to fashion I guess it's uh, um, it's when you can't remove anything from the garment so basically if you have these patterns so you have actually being able to remove everything and so it's the simplest and the most uh, flexible item uh, with the less impact and I guess the less um raw materials like using the less raw materials as you can uh, looking at organic cotton for instance uh, being organic yes it's one but how potentially we can use less have less impact and reuse everything after after the, the production of the item 80% of the CO2 emissions comes from the productions so whenever this is actually this is a fact so I think circularity in, in my view is Whenever you have removed everything, you have make sure you have less impact, and then you are reuse, you are reusing, reusing everything you can from the item. Then you create this loop, and so I think, well, we have we are living in in, in this world where potentially we have limited um, raw materials, and so if we don't take now a, a shift between now a shift on making sure we do take into account to the productions and how we are going to use these raw materials and looping it back to our own productions. I think if companies don't do that, uh, they will have 
issues in, in, the, in the long term in a way but I think just the story is so cool just you are filling yourself with your own garment mm -hmm. and so in my opinion this is where I see circularity like sim being simple and reusing the less you can reducing the impact yeah and added to this I think um, the, um, the other side of the, the, the donut uh, has to do with um, uh, making sure that the garments are, are if they need to be produced they're produced on a fair way um, so the connection with um, um, living in harmony with m uh, the planetary boundaries in terms of uh, material resources um, in my opinion should be really in hand with um, the human landscape and being able to um, uh, foster positive effect on society by every garment that is created and unfortunately the majority of the conditions that garments are produced today is the other way around mm. you are eroding <coughs> uh, resources from the country and cotton, water, CO2 and you're eroding social conditions and the race to the bottom, how can we make it cheaper? Mm. Buyers are fighting to make it cheaper and further, further away from our eyes. And so I think the opposite to this is making um, making garments uh, less cradle to cradle, so having a, uh, having a, uh, a harmonious um, uh, process in connection to the, to, to the world we live in. And uh, in in harmonious social conditions, and the people thrive instead of uh, other way around by doing this. And I think the way that that um, it is, because the question was really how brands, how fashion should approach sustainability, right? Or how? Yeah, like how do you guys perceive it, and how yeah. do you define it? Mm. I guess. Yeah, and I really believe that it has to be from the core. I think. Uh, you see a lot of um, uh, greenwashing and, and a lot of actions on, on, on the market. Eh? It, it's even and in the States and here in the Netherlands, a lot of, uh, in the last weeks, coming cases of, of, of greenwashing that the markets are being warned by, by, by the terms. Um, um, and then you realize that those are um, activities that are not really sustainable. So mm -hmm. They're like on the surface, it's a marketing stunt, it's mm -hmm. a campaign something then um, the consumer is starting to be really aware of it um, and governments again and legislation is getting really aware I think sustainability should start by the core um, and what does a brand stand for what do the consumers of a brand stand for why is it so important to care for this cause and how can we as a brand change perception and, and really make a difference uh, positive impact I think that's where sustainability should 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 start yeah, I guess uh, just to, to, to quickly agree with what you just said and just to echo that, uh, it has been proven that linear economy doesn't, it's not going to run in the long term. And mm. I think it's our chance to say, okay, looking at how we can evolve from this linear model to a circular one and how we can potentially bring all the good impact into these new model systems and echoing the, the environmental aspect, but most importantly, the social as well, like all together needs to be one piece into the circularity um, in the, this new model. What do you guys think are some of the key things that would need to change in order to get to that like the different way of approaching a value chain, like a circular way, and also like valuing people and planet at the same time? What are some some of the key elements if you look at our current society that would need to be adjusted? 
Uh, I th I think um, uh, there are other <coughs> dimensions than the mon monetary one. And an example of this is what you just mentioned about the climber. You're gonna choose for this brand because it stands for a value that is beyond money, right? You Patagonia stands. Uh, Patagonia is now owned by Earth. <laughs> so <laughs> Literally, how better can you do than that? But it stands by. Um, uh, 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 for instance, one of the things is climate change. Um, so um, you're mm -hmm. gonna choose for this brand. It's not not probably the less decide decision making factor is monetary. So you see that on the on the transition. Uh, um, Brands are starting to value elements they're not monetary anymore. So the indicators of performance of a brand or a company uh, have to shift from the financial, only the financial one. So mm. how do you measure the impact they create on the environment? How do you measure the impact they create on, 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 on people and the story? Um, um, because they are more and more creating value to a brand and they would create, they will help to create a, a framework for, for, for brands to transit. Which the, the the demand from the customers as well. We need to, I think companies need to listen to the demands, the high demands from the customers because we are becoming more autonomous, more. Um, we want to be part of the solutions because mm. we, I mean, the IPCC reports uh, all the the flood, uh, the very high, uh, very high temperature summers. I mean, you can't you, you can't deny it. You, mm. you just you face it and you just like okay, how <coughs> I can be part of the solutions? If it can be coming from repairs. Yes, uh, but if they, if we hear the demands from the customers, companies will must bring those changes in in their in their proposal. Actually, if you had to pick, and I, I know it's usually a trifecta, but if you had to pick a single sort of where should it start? Is it government? Is it business? Or is it consumer? Like who bears the biggest responsibility in this? I really this believe it's a. It, I call it the, the disruption triangle. Because it's it's what I mentioned: consumer, producer, and, and and government. They they have to go hand in hand, mm. um, and one pushes the other. Uh, the consumer says, "I want better products." Usually, the producer would be the last one to move, but then the government <laughs> listens to this and say, "Okay, I'm going to start to change the legislation. I'm going to push." Uh, and then the producer, say, of course, going to make better products, and that goes hand in hand. We see in Europe happen now with the. Uh, the extended producer responsibility mm -hmm. in called the UPV, um, which is one thing that is coming up. But um, uh, greenwashing regulation is coming up. Uh, the call for uh, it, what was it twenty years ago? There was no organic cotton in the market, mm -hmm. and it really started not because <coughs> it was cheaper to make, but because the the the, the the consumer wanted a better product. You know, so I think it goes hand in hand. Yeah, just uh, just uh, completely agree. The these two force. Um, if if you don't listen to your customer, you will need anyway to apply what the laws are coming, and they are mm. really moving at the European level. Uh, so better to to be proactive and just to look at it now, um, because for, again, I'm maybe repeating myself, but if companies don't take the lead, that lead, they potentially will lose customers. Because if you really want to 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 be part of that solutions, you you will potentially switch uh, companies if uh, this your this company you have been loyal to so far doesn't bring you any values to, to your mm. to your expense. And there you get back to what you said, the customers are looking for more than just value and that sustainability only works when you tackle it from the core, right? Otherwise, it doesn't work. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Nice.
Well, that was already uh, a lot of good stuff, I'd say. Uh, we have more questions, but before that, um, you know, we all know that dehydration is the enemy. So we got a little gift for you guys. Um, you get the choice between some nice vino that Max picked up or some uh, tea, and we will have whatever it is that you're having. So. What, what, what do you want? What do you got? Tea? Oh, come on, show your tea, bruv. Oh, tea package is still at the bus. It's a cold natural wine that was picked exclusively because I like the label. <laughs> I know so nothing nice else label. about this wine, but so far this, the story I buy, buy it was always dummy right, so... That's it. That's the sales page. <laughs> I go for natural wine. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, even, I, you haven't even heard my pitch yet. Hear the pitch. Hear the pitch. Okay, so we also have some tea. It's like, a, I think it's a dark tea. I don't. I, I left the package open at the bar, of course, so I can't give you the exact details. Uh, it's pretty good, though. I've had it before. Uh, and kind of the story is, it's called uh, Wildland. It's, that's the company. And what they basically do is they sublet uh, Dutch farmland and then grow these like wild um, herbs and things that you make tea from on this land and then they make tea from it and then the part of the profits are being given back to the farmers and it also helps like um, yeah repopulate a lot of the wildlife uh, and insects and stuff like that. Ooh, can um, I have also tea later? <laughs> 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 See? <laughs> I took it first. <laughs> So we'll start with the wine, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now you, you you saw the star when you were. Are you drinking later? Okay. But are you guys? Uh, <laughs> you were hoping for what's, what's like the one beverage you can't live without? I guess big wine people. As a French person, I would say uh, nice Côte du Rhône or Bordeaux red wine that I will have hard time. Uh, together with some cheese, uh, actually, because it goes hand to hand. Um, yeah, that could be my. What about non-alcoholic? You have like one drink. Oh, uh, green like tea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on the green tea. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, uh, anything but green tea is not real tea. No, that's not what I said. I said really? All the infusion stuff that you drink is not tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah infusion is not tea. There you go. See, it's tea, but it's even better it because there's no tea. Yeah. Exactly. So. It, He's, a, he's on a good side. Yeah. I, had I, th a I, <laughs> thought we, I thought we saw eye to eye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> eventually, just like, yes. <laughs> I, I, w I was always going to say a long time ago, that I, I, for a long time, that I couldn't live without coffee. And now I'm... I'm, I'm I'm a, I am a afkicking. I'm a... You're <laughs> a I'm on rehab for, for coffee and then a realizing pack that it gives on your life. Thank you, babe. No, thank um, you. Would you like some tea instead? I'm, I'm good to be better. Good to be better. I'm going to play basketball. Uh, yeah, uh, I should have. I should be playing basketball at the minute, uh, but then I committed for half marathon in a month just two days ago. So okay. When is it half marathon? Uh, 30th of October. Oh, you can have it. So you're doing, you're doing sober October. Well, well, I, I, had, I, I have to. <laughs> I commit oh, you to. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we lasted all of four days. Oh well. It was still a good well, it's still October. October. We can still stop. <laughs> it's like the last day of October. You're like, yeah, I did it in one day. 
Christmas. Well, I'm not the pinks. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Cheers. 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 I was an interesting experience. Yeah. It's probably going to be some weird ASMR noises of people (laughs) drinking (laughs) drinking wine. Uh, Nice. What about you? What's like your drink of choice? Yeah, for me, it used to be coffee for a long time. And then um, trying to get out of coffee, it's giving me a new. And a totally new way of uh, perceiving my habits. Um, it it is it is something I never thought I would be able to live without. I still not sure if I'm able to live without. But I was drink. I I I I was born in Brazil. Coffee is really in the culture. Um, I'm sure every person that I meet in Brazil for a meeting drink a small cup of very sugary coffee. And for me, coffee was my father used to sell coffee and coffee, coffee, coffee. And now living without it, I'm starting to perceive, oh, my energy level changes and my focus is different. My um, evenness through the week uh, changed a lot. And I used to have a, like the energy dip in the, mm-hmm. the week and now it's a bit of all low or all hand. <laughs> but did you drink coffee like all day? Or yeah, like, like 10 to 15 Ooh, uh, wow. coffee a day. Like 10 to 15 coffees a day? Damn, you must have been buzzing. Now I'm doing two a week. I can see week. the energy dip. <laughs> two a week, so it's, it's really good. Yeah. Wow. How good are those two coffees right now? <laughs> 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 this morning, I actually went to my favorite coffee place, and I was like, oh, I just, two days a day. I'm gonna have the, and the girl just had a pack of decaf on her hands and said, all right, just do me decaf. So <laughs> <laughs> What's the reason that you're quitting coffee? Now I realize that... Um, um, I think the more you, the more you start to work towards a more sustainable way of living, and I, I'm not vegetarian. I'm not vegan. I, I have all the Brazilian roots still there, mm-hmm. but I really am conscious about all my habits now, becoming more and mm-hmm. more conscious about my habits and the effect that it gave on me and my connection to, yeah, nature as a whole, and I realized that. Uh, Coffee is something that really um, shuts you up from a lot of perception, and um, just not being aware what coffee does to your system is something that is already shifting. Mm. And I really like to, yeah, I really like to the ability of being in contact with, uh, uh, yeah, my day-to-day life uh, better. And I feel like uh, if you can be conscious about my coffee consumption, that changes. So. It is probably the drink that we could never go without. I'm still to be proved. <laughs> it's <laughs> an experiment. Let's, let's see how you do on two cups a week. Let's let's see. All right. Well, now that we're sufficiently hydrated, uh, it's time to get to the main course of the podcast. Um, like I said, we have a bunch of questions that you know will rattle down. Um, let's start with your respective backgrounds. Like, how did you end up in fashion? Um, I still don't think I am in fashion, um, <laughs> but um, uh, my background is on um, product design. I'm a product designer from education, but I never really made a product. My passion was always about people mm. and how uh, how how create connection and and look into social issues. My dream as a kid was to be like 
a designer working in Africa making water palms and this, this classical NGO uh, 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 picture. And I was ended up doing this. I was building actually a motorcycle in Kenya, a social enterprise. A motorcycle. A motorcycle, yeah. To create employment for for taxi chauffeurs in in in, in East Africa as the first job, training program, amazing job. But then the refugee crisis came, and I was busy with my dream job there and doing nothing here. So I, uh, I together with a collective people and and good friends, we created an awareness campaign uh, for the refugee crisis here, the Rivers Life, and it was done by recycling old life vests from Greece. Mm. into uh, awareness items like a small ribbon that was sued and this sewing product sued product um, was sold to make a, um, a donation to to NGOs at the time and that was my connection to fashion the sewing machine um, I, I realized that the making process is a great way of connecting people um, and the products that I create are great storytellers um, and I saw this as an opportunity of creating change uh, for the condition of, uh, of refugees. Um, that was six years ago. And that was the starting of Makers Night. And Makers Night evolved into making uh, production for companies, uh, working for brands, and lastly working with this brand that we really like called Patagonia. And that became the second business, was called the United Repair Center. And now we're really deeply connected to a lot of brands and working on their strategies on sustainability. Um, but that's the reason I still think I'm not really into fashion. <laughs> I think my my <coughs> thinking is really um, that uh, fashion is not the end goal, but could be a means to. Uh, uh, like what Patagonia is doing, what you guys are doing with Full Circle, it's really a means to create change. It's a vehicle mm. to create change. And that's the part that interests me the most. How can I organize the sector? How can I organize the different players and all the expertise and talent and money that is mm. there uh, for good? So that's the, that's the path. Nice. What about you? Uh, I was a technical item. Uh, I haven't thought um, at all about the world fashion actually, because just when I, I started uh, Patagonia, actually I, I was I went back from a, a summer mountain trip for the first interview, and it was just uh, it was just about the technical item uh, linked to the activity. So looking at the functionality about each item. So when I just uh, got my first. Uh, of super light down jackets uh, for hiking it was just the functionality about it and how how it is constructed and, and so on but um, yeah more about the technology of mm. the product yeah. I guess I guess that's always kind of lost I mean I have more of a sports background so I have something similar where you know the items that you wear it's also about performance so you value you know what you wear for a different reason I feel like fashion kind of lacks that sometimes it's like, and I, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> we used to have a cowboy hat the other day. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's true. <clears throat> but also, there's the flip side because when I used to play sports being younger, I never really liked the performancey looking items. I preferred like simple cotton items because I just, not because of sustainability reasons, just liked that better. So I was locked out of performance by the way it looked. <laughs> I'm on the other side. But for you, it really was. <clears throat> 
technical and applying the skills to a garment nothing to do with fashion oh, has it changed since not at all um, not at all <laughs> I mean, um, how do you describe your wardrobe earlier I mean besides the fact that it's a trend right now you could almost say that it's a fashion statement right because it says something about your identity what, what do you mean by, by, by fashion well where you um, the wardrobe that you've built that's minimalistic is super functional yeah. and it's really centered around sort of the pieces that you need and the pieces that you, well, you already have obviously mm-hmm. um, <coughs> the way that looks and the way like that comes together by itself is sort of almost a fashion statement right I guess uh, I, I guess you can look at uh, making matching colors together uh, but I mean looking at my uh, wardrobe at the moment uh, sometimes it can be a bit silly because there is no color match because again it could be repair sample it could be whatever issue quality issues potentially we can have and I was like okay whatever it fits so indeed from a color match I'm the, I guess the worst uh, to consult for uh, <laughs> fashion really advice yeah exactly <coughs> I, I just mm. like whenever you are running and then you have this uh, little minimalist short with everything integrated and then the stitching is made so you don't have any frictions and stuff I'm like okay good um, it's only what I need and you just only to need one one piece mm. if you run twice a year twice a week could be two shorts might, might be needed and that's it and you can you can run uh, miles with it Nice. Now, it was brought up a little bit earlier, but we have to ask, what does it feel like to work for a company that's owned by Earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it feels unique. It feels uh, very special. Uh, I've been always proud for the first days of working at Patagonia. Um, in 2018, we changed mission statements. So we moved uh, So to, we are in business to save our own planet. So that was already uh, kind of a, a strong statement. Um, and so we already resonate uh, every individuals and employees on how we could potentially can apply our in our daily life in our daily jobs to match our, this mission statement. We are business to save our own planet. So really, we really think twice and reson- it really resonates to each employees to to know to understand how we can do better. Uh, and on my side, it was repairs. Uh, but like uh, yeah, a few weeks ago, that it was this uh, announcement globally announced uh, by the family uh, and the founder. Um, this was just a big momentum, and I think uh, one of the most, um, I guess, from far the the most uh, iconic uh, moment in my career so far. Yeah. And I think it's just uh, me and all my colleagues. We are just stuck about in about this announcement mm. and yeah, it's crazy it was everywhere yeah. Yeah. like that day when it came out where everyone was like yo this is like yeah it, fe- it felt very emotional um, some team members from EU were lucky enough randomly they were in the same in Ventura where the announcement happened like mm. with the whole campus and even telling this announcement and sharing um, all the all the all the reason he, he, he want to protect the planet and just being having him explain uh, why he was doing it, um, yeah, that was uh, yeah, was very emotional. That's crazy. So that was before, like the official announcement, or was it kind of? It like was the time? the announcement. The no official one announcement. No you guys really? didn't, you weren't b- informed before. Like no. soon you empl- employed by the Earth. Nobody yeah. told you. No. Globally, it was a <coughs> global announcement. We changed the laws. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the town hall. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, 
Okay. Yeah, it's, it's so massively inspiring, and I really, really hope that it's gonna uh, uh, create uh, a trend. Mm. I really hope. Yeah. And, and my feeling when that came out was like, all right, who needs a rocket that goes to Mars? Mm. This yeah. is what this is what you should be doing with your money, right? Yeah. This is really uh, what what is enough, and and the things that we're all. Um, struggling in earth today because people are just too greedy and you're just wanting to have more and more and more of the thing that you don't really need um, and then someone makes a gesture like he did and if you didn't do your homework do it go read about it there's no tax advantage for anything there's not like a philanthropic donation it's like a highly complex uh, statutory change on a company and a massive donation that it, there's that it's is very pure gesture um, um, that, that 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 shows that um, um, we have to change our behavior, mm -hmm. to change the way we think. I mean, he did with three billion dollars. Right? I mm -hmm. think we can do with everything that we have. You know, with, with what is what is it that we need to exist uh, today, and how we can change our behavior for good, and uh, honor it, and, and and live it, and and make it last. I think really hope that. Uh, um, some people out there are going to follow the trend. Yeah, yeah. I saw that the the owner of uh, Lululemon, the founder, I forget what his name is. He donated like a hundred million Canadian to protect like uh, BC parks. Of course, it's not all his shares or anything, <coughs> but I mean, I feel like it's a good step. Yeah, I just think that in general, the reason why it went so viral, if you want to call it that, is because at least to me. It's like everyone's working in this capitalist society towards like, oh, I want to be rich. I want to be a billionaire. I want to have unlimited money. And he basically had that. And he just said like, no, nah, it's not worth it. You know, like he really showed everyone's like, I have it all. And like, it doesn't matter if we don't have like a, a planet to live on. I thought that was just like amazing, you know? Yeah. Um, we, I think it's time we just, we're just taking the, the capitalism at the heads and just uh, kind of switching it around. And um, I think we are discussing about uh, how the, the, to hear the customers and to hear the laws. But like l looking at the investors as well of other companies, I think they will look as well at not only the profit that the, the company will generate, but looking at okay, what. What's um, how the company are engaged in in corporate and social responsibility, and this is actually will be, I guess, one of the criteria that investor will look at it. And so, if we all look at it in that way, we will potentially hoping switching this capitalism uh, model uh, to yeah to to create more values than than money. Actually, yeah, give me your money, I'm gonna shovel back on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd be curious to see how that's good because Patagonia was obviously a privately owned company, right? Yeah. How that's going to work with yeah, big companies that are publicly traded on the stock market. I guess one step at a time. But there it becomes even more complex, right? Because you have companies that have a, like shareholders, but those shareholders are not individuals per se, but there are other organizations that have bought stock. And again, have, it's going to be so far down the line where you can... Exactly. Well, th this is a big reason that you see today why why massive oil companies where at the head of this company have people that are really smart and sustainable as well and they, they are vegan as well but the companies are changing and it's it's because the, the, there's a there's a, a very long um, shareholder interest that cannot make a change and mm. it's connected to 
all the way to pension funds and complexity of things that people at the end you have to do with uh, where's my money and mm. ends up where's my and instead of thinking where's our common interest and where's our common interest as humanity in this, is in this planet we still need the planet to be here and the things that Plan is gonna last, but we might not be there anymore. <laughs> I think it will it, it it will feel terrible right now if you own Shell stock. It can't feel right, right? Still knowing that that's sort of helping you make your pension in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, if, even in a big pension fund, you see the the big shift on 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 perception. And, mm. and yeah, and and it's just it's just at the end is it, is just too much money, right? And and it goes. I think if you if you get really down to to the bottom, I really think it goes down to understanding that it's not about um, saving for tomorrow and or private interest of saving for tomorrow, but think okay. I, oh, I, the other the other day, it's very nice uh, quote, which is, uh, um, I don't believe in competition because I think that we all together should win. Hmm. So it's really the thinking, right? It's not about uh, racing to get to the end line. It's making sure that we all finish it uh, together. Yeah. That's a nice quote. I mean, I feel like that's also the perfect segue to maybe talk about uh, United Repair Center and how that came to be. Do you want to maybe explain what it is first? Cool. Yeah, that's my job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the United Repair Center is a um, social enterprise uh, that provides B2B repair services um, for brands uh, in uh, post-consumer uh, repair. So um, basically clothing that the consumer owns. Um, we help brands to create repair programs uh, so they could repair the clothing of their consumer and make it last longer. Um, and it's a company that started as a spin-off um, Makers Night from an initiative of Amsterdam Economic Board um, where in Think Tank, uh, Patagonia was also sitting there and um, together with the region, um, the economic board saying, okay, what can we do tax ways and how can repair be a contributing thing there? And there was already a thought of a shared repair service. Patagonia at the time was already looking for a, a provider of repair uh, here. Because um, in, the, in, the, in North America, Patagonia offers repairs, right? Yes, we do all our own repair centers uh, in, in our warehouse in Nevada. So this is the, the largest uh, repair centers in America, North America, mm -hmm. but we, we own it, so it's our Patagonia uh, people. Okay, so you also want to do it in Europe, which is why... Yeah, it exists already in Europe, in yeah. South Europe, but nothing here in the North, uh, okay. West of Europe. <coughs> and they were looking for one solution, and then um, basically thought on uh, connecting the repair program to a social program and creating a talent development um uh, yeah a program that would help uh, newcomers and people with the distance to the labor market to learn to become certified tailors and then they'll get a, a, a job uh, uh, offer of a job guarantee at the repair program um which is one thing that that Patagonia really liked uh, from the beginning and then the second is that no one is really going to 
save the world alone. So there's a lot of expertise at Patagonia there on repairing and logistics, finance, marketing, everything. Um, and it's a benefit to everybody if we open the blueprint and help other brands to to also pave the way towards mm. uh, long-lasting garments. So they like the idea and and they jump in co-creating the United Repair Center. Because that was that's also your background, right? Repairs. Yeah, repairs. Uh, actually, Patagonia um, repair is part of the DNA of the of the company. So every product we build. Uh, are designed with the repair in mind. So uh, the, all the constructions for the patterns is made of you can repair it easily. So repair has already been there since the start. And so we are repairing since uh, we exist uh, because we are building high quality products so we can make them last longer because we can repair it easily. Uh, we, we, with low quality product, it's, it's impossible. Um, and so we, we have this repair uh, in Europe. We have different repair centers. Um, originally, we had one main. So now we are uh, looking for repair more local. And uh, yeah, I think uh, two years ago, the, the mayor of Amsterdam came to, to visit uh, Patagonia offices and start the conversations because the kind of the, um, the initiatives from Amsterdam, the goal was to become to make my Amsterdam city a bit more circular, mm. part yeah. of the Green Deal, the, the European, yeah. European program. And so that's why the conversation started. And then um, I think uh, Amsterdam Economic Board, Patagonia, and then uh, Tammy came in. Uh, and then we, we have been working for the past 18 months uh, on this uh, project, to yeah. just to make sure to continue repair and to scale the repair. Um, and as Tammy just said, we we can't we can't do it uh, alone. So we really want to do it together because we can't succeed otherwise. And um, as Patagonia, we has always wanted to share what we have founded. So potentially we have invested in Ulex technology to find this uh, natural um, rubber to put on the wetsuit, for instance, for surfing. And so we have invested. We have looking for solutions for years and whenever we found it then we were able to share to the market so everyone can bring bring mm -hmm. we can bring them along to the journey <coughs> and we have uh, these great expressions we have the best weed and we share it so that was actually one of the best because we found it and so that's why we are happy to to share what we know and what we have been mistaken mm -hmm. in the past um, and then we are continuing to do that at any kind of domain in a way mm. and for repairs uh, this is what I'm doing with companies that uh, don't know how to start with repairs and I was doing uh, two weeks ago uh, some speech on, on trying to convince or to help outdoor companies who are really much looking at repair services but they don't know where to start and so my role is to let them know the challenges uh, but to encourage them to do so and then to connect to the right uh, person and such as the United Repair Centers. So, so why do companies not like? Because Patagonia has been doing this for years; it's been working. Um, why are the companies not hopping on the repair bandwagon? Why is it not a trend that's going on? Um, I think it has to do with the nature of Patagonia itself. They started first by repairing climbing gear, and then they started to make clothing, mm -hmm. which obviously <coughs> needed to be repaired. So, it was on on the DNA. Um, and what we see today happening is that um, basically if you look at the common way the brands sell today it's telling the consumer uh, not to repair basically telling the consumer buy more and next mm -hmm. season you buy a new one and you buy a new one, so new just one. Very 
So the the way exactly. So the way that that uh, uh, the, the, the yeah the whole marketing story around fashion is today is based on consume and then go ahead and consume again because you need it. And now we're telling a different story. We're telling uh, consume very well if you need it, and if you need another item before you go to go before check if you could repair it mm. and make sure you can make it last. So it's a total new um, uh, storyline. In addition to this, companies are fearful of, okay, if my consumer is going to repair the clothing, it means I'm not going to be able to sell another one. So why should I repair? And we see this analyzing what's happening with Patagonia from the outside. Um, there's a very short-sighted uh, uh, view about the value of the brand. Mm -hmm. Because basically, when you're <coughs> telling the consumer, uh, trust that this garment is great, and I offer you free repairs on a lifetime, well, what do you think about the brand then? Hmm. Is it, it your value for the brand grows uh, a lot, and the likability for this brand also is worth money. And we see that um, um, over time, the repair activity can really help brands to, um, yeah, to monetize on that garment that was sold once, and be able to produce less instead of producing a lot and not selling. So the repair activity comes in. It's a complementary revenue stream for brands. Uh, they're able to think wisely around it. Do, do most brands that have started working with you guys, do they offer to repair for free? Or do they also see it as like a secondary monetary income stream where, you know, they're less reliant on making that first time sale over and over again. But in turn, they know the garment's great, but it's going to be repaired there for last long. So it's going to generate income on its own. Or is it really free repairs only? It's um, uh, it, well. You have to see that repair programs, B two C repair programs now, or, or, or post consumer repair programs, are a new thing. Mm. Um, a few brand, handful of brands provide this. Uh, uh, Patagonia is really leading the sector on on, on doing this. Um, but brands are stepping into the repair programs. Have to try out different things. They have to see how they're. Obviously, the, the consumer base of Patagonia is educated about repairs and they are consci consciously aware about the environment and they probably wouldn't try to repair their technical gear. When you're talking about a, a, um, a urban consumer of a fashion brand, for instance, mm -hmm. their behavior interest is different and their perception about value is also different. So brands are, uh, we help brands to think around their consumer added value and how the repair programs fit inside their consumer strategy and how their um, um, proposal to the end consumer uh, fits better. And it can be that is fully paid by the brand. We strongly believe in this model, but it can also be in a way that the, the consumer is also paying for the repairs, which is also something that we see growing. We see the, the, the general awareness of the end consumer for repairs growing a lot, mm. especially in the last two years. Um, and the the likability for repairs growing a lot. What do you think that is? Well, I think it has to do a lot with uh, uh, the doom of fast fashion. Uh, I think in the last 20 the years... Doom of fast the doom of fast fashion. I like that. Let's go. Uh, the beginning of an, an era. the title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the doom of fast fashion. I think um, uh, since the 90s, if, uh, uh, we lost contact with our clothes. Before your grandma or your mom would make a garment that you can wear on school every day and then repair, 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 repair until yes. it's over. Yes. And then you're going to get something new. So I was going to get a new pair of clothes in every uh, pair of years or something. Mm. 
And you were a lot closer to people that worked in garment industries, right? Like maybe your neighbor was actually a tailor at a factory. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, and 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 in in since the nineties, especially in in industrialized countries, this is gone, um, and been replaced by buying cheap, fast as much as possible. Mm. Um, but especially when when you get the 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 uh, the, the raises sustainability awareness of the end consumer, um, the raise of awareness of the of the damage that fast fashion is creating to the world today. Uh, you get in a new trend that's understanding okay oh actually it's not cool anymore to get a new item every every, every week it's actually better to get a good item that I can last longer mm. so repair comes really really in this this, this last trend uh, last trend on a, that's the only way out actually uh, uh, repair comes really into the service of the garment that you love that you care uh, that you think about consuming, that you that you you're gonna spend more, but spend once instead of mm. spending ten times in a year, um, and repairs uh, edit is 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 almost a monetary service on the extension uh, of this uh, of this clothing. So I really believe that um, 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 what we say we called the repair is the new cool, which is uh, repairing clothing is becoming today what used to be becoming a vegetarian uh, 15 years ago. Uh, people want to wear repairs and make it visible. Have a lot of um, Patagon has an example of warm wear program, which you wear uh, this big orange patch here, which becomes a a, a, a pride item uh, that shows your engagement with the environment, that shows that they're they're a conscious consumer. Um, and we we really feel this trend grow. And the brands are coming to us now. They're asking, okay, can I also do creative repairs and make this appear? It's <laughs> amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, you 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 will see a movement happening. That's good to hear because I think when we started full circle, when the the things are sort of naturally were in the checklist of things that we definitely want to be have in there, would be like, yeah, we need to offer repairs. If we say these garments are really good quality and we want people to keep for a long time, we need to figure out repairs. Um, at this point, we still just have it manually done through tailors, but. Um, to see a shift happening that more people are actually engaging with repairs is yeah special to us because it means that okay we're going in the right direction there and that's actually why we got super excited when we first heard about the United Repair Center because okay these are some big names who are looking towards the same thing that we're looking at and that was that was really cool to see and is that is that is it also growing now like the from other brands because this has to be a commercial enterprise right it has to be. It's a, it's a big corp. So we mm. we we have a. There's a for-profit company that has a focus on reinvesting the profit in, in social inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have been out there since July, um, and we cannot. We don't do acquisition yet because we just cannot deal with the demand. We right. really realize that 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 has been a. Uh, it's, it's like a tap into something that the market was waiting for and um, of course it's only being possible because they're going to put all the knowledge on the table and say just take it and make good mm. use of it so there's a uh, there's a, a big IT infrastructure behind this whole repair story and it makes it possible for the product flow to exist the the management of uh, uh, the amount of repairs that happened and is really talking the the language of brands and, and, and we become for brands another supply uh, supply chain mm. point. They you can li- literally integrate in their s- systems. So 
So that really facilitates for brands to 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 jump into the service. And this is also new for Patagonia, then, right? Because you said that all the other repair centers, I and mean, you guys have been doing this for a long time, but they're all exclusively owned by Patagonia. In in Europe, um, we do not own any repair centers. So okay. we have we have been u- working with one uh, partnerships for years, uh, but just because we want to go local, we we want to have repair centers a bit more localized uh, grocery up. But that's why it makes things a bit more complex uh, from okay. logistics, from knowledge, from system, um, and everything. But you guys brought that like the IT infrastructure. Yeah. Is that already something that existed, <coughs> and then you <coughs> adapted it for kind of like a other brands to also exactly well basically uh, Patagonia it. developed the the IT infrastructure we um, we reinvested in re- recreating that and now we are creating services on top of it so basically uh, the creating infrastructure allows a product flow to happen and 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 they oversee the product and now it's extending um, in our in our segment, we took this platform our creative way that we could replicate this into portals for different brands, and different brands have different requirements and they're looking for different services and mm. we're extending inside the services on what we provide is meaningful for them. An example for this would be, for instance, the impact measurement of repairs, at um, amount of uh, kilos of textile they repaired, CO2 emissions they are connected to this. Basically, delivering could, to them. Could reports. you somehow get carbon credits for that? I don't know. That would be nice, but I. I uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that if it should work that way. I just it crossed my mind. Could you do that? But I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. No. Interesting. Um. I, I never thought of it. But what I realized is that uh, it's also something that 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 uh, uh, brands are really looking for and mm. and and. It brings really sharp in what they need to deliver in terms of CSR today, what's demandable for the customer. The majority of brands talking have very strict and very ambitious uh, sustainability and circular goals. Mm. So we fit right in the, the proposition. And if I just can comment on that, because you previously you have been mentioning many, many interesting points. And going back to your questions on why why the companies have not been uh, set up in repairs mm. already. Um, I think, one, because Patagonia, has, we have that from the DNA, so from the start, so for us it's easier. But for the companies who want to start repairs, and uh, this is complex, uh, buying something, there is one transaction from one to, to two, is easy. Well, I guess it's easy. But repair is way more complex because you have back and forth, you need to have systems, you have you have conversations with the customer, so it's much more way more complex to repairs because you need to have. I'm not going to go into details here, but you need to provide the same colors, potentially same mm. technical item. So there's all of these conversations we need to have with the customers. We need to have proper systems, and if you want to do repairs, this is one of the piece of advice I can share. We need to have a proper system to be able to handle the repair well, so we can potentially connect with our repair partners. We provide a great communications, great information to make sure we can scale the repairs and we can make sure, especially, we provide a great and excellent customer experience because we want to convince people to repair instead of buying something new. But the key important aspect, I think, is to make sure the customer experience is master and we provide this excellent experience to mm. our customers. So that repairing is easy, convenient, accessible. Yeah. It doesn't feel... That like that much more effort than buying something new. Yes, exactly. Besides, like all the guilt you might feel when you do the, fir- the buying something new. Yeah. 
Um, this is very a challenge actually because buying something online takes a few minutes. Less. Um, yeah. <laughs> Four clicks done. Unfortunately, <laughs> and he's one of my and our challenge to to make sure we we drive the repair. E easy mm. and actually Ryan Gellert which is the Patagonia CEO um, to quote him it was saying it should be as easy to repair something than to buy something used or new and this is a personal uh, commitment or personal goal to make the repair accessible and easy for the end consumer or any citizen actually to 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 go to the repair route first and and to and going away from buying something uh, new but this is in a challenge and actually for the companies who want to look at the repairs um, going back to one uh, one of the Tammy's point is we the companies need to understand that is actually one of the unique opportunity to connect with the end consumer you have something broken you connect with the brand this is a unique moment where you can talk with your end consumer you can engage with him and understand it a little bit better uh, and and provide the right repair services it might might be something completely else than what we do offer as Patagonia, but just understand your customers, understand what they want from you, and then just provide the repair services or, or el elsewhere. But I think the repair can be something really to bring values and actually to even to keep your customer to mm. make it to make them loyal forever. Because I think if you look at the repairs, yes, it's it's challenging for the companies. Yes, it's costly, but if you look at the long term. As Tammy mentioned previously, if you have someone who is super happy about the repairs, he's going to talk about it, he's going to show to his friends, he's going to speak and share the experience. And actually, these great benefits compared to the cost of the customer acquisitions, the operation, the calculation is done. You have this customer for life because you, you make a great repair expense for it. And then that person can use his jacket, he's running short forever and go back to the mountains and create new souvenirs from, from their belongings. And so just all in all, just the, the story is, is great at the end. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, that only makes me wonder more why brands haven't gotten on this so far. Yeah, so but is the repair center open to all the brands? Because you earlier mentioned repairing, excuse the language, shit clothes is not worth it. So, would all the brands be able to knock on you guys' door and say, hey, I want you to integrate this into your repair program. We do this three euro t-shirts. Um, let's go. I have this uh, issue on my table at this moment. And, um, and everybody, everybody can knock on our brand. I think um, <coughs> we have to look into um, why United Repair Center started and it really started from a need of reducing the textile waste hmm. uh, and then we're connected this to creating positive employment um, if reducing textile waste is not in the core uh, objective of a brand repair shouldn't be there that's hmm. basically how I think and and we shouldn't use repair for brands to produce more you should repair for a brand to continue earning and be able to produce less mm. um, an example of this is that Patagonia kept their production uh, was it kept the production uh, capacity and then the revenue double and just by oh, really? yeah just we're not going to produce more we're going to cap our production capacity and then we're going to be able to uh, is that because you increased like the prices or did you did you refer to the don't buy this jacket 
yeah. momentum. For yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, one Black Friday in the US, uh, <coughs> we had a campaign uh, display uh, on everywhere. Don't buy this jacket. Mm. We have a jacket, and actually that day, the, the the sales were crazy. So we gave everything to NGOs, uh, but it was actually insanely uh, yeah, counterintuitive uh, from the campaigns we have, yeah. we have been doing. Yeah. And this is what's happening. If if you really bring this new editors or brands, um, uh, the value grows much more than than the other way around. And I think, um, uh, it, it, yeah, the again going back where the sustainability uh, should be. I think if it's not in the core, it's it's not going to be. Uh, it's not going to work. It shouldn't float around the outside. It shouldn't. Like it should is be it then just greenwashing? No, it's not only greenwashing. I think uh, um, I if you're not contributing for a garment to last longer uh, for the right reason, I think why should a repair opportunity be there in the first place? You know, I think... Like you have uh, other problems to fix first. <coughs> yeah, I think brands who really first think, okay, how am I really contributing possibly to the environment? And how can repair contributes to to this mission? And then we're good to talk. Yeah, it doesn't need to be seen as the end goal, but it needs more to be looked at the, the source. Actually, mm. like okay, who we want to be? What what is your our business proposal? We are talking with freelance community and ask potentially talking to them on think about what you could bring as good impact on your on your business proposal on your offer. Because actually, if you have that on the source. Then every day you wake up, then you you work for that because it, you work through your passions. If you want to, to save the planet, then you wake up, and then you are happy to work because you are actually solving something. If if you want to work to protect people and then or or to 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 involve and to integrate people and and give them job, then you you know the reason why you are waking up every morning, right? Um, so not not so much looking at the end goal sustainability because in in that case you can potentially lean to lead to more greenwashing but if you really look at okay at the source i think that's that should be the the success of um, of sustainability nice well said hmm. so what why do you think like i mean you mentioned earlier like the last two years it's becoming so a bit more prominent but why hasn't it repair been talked about that much in the past I mean, you guys have been doing it. Maybe in your own know, outdoor bubble, a lot of people just tend to do that, and it's kind of second nature for your consumer audience. But I feel like in general, like just now, we're starting to hear everyone talk about it. Is it just like finally this tipping point that we've reached? Or Yeah, I would say, I guess I would mention maybe three reasons to that. Uh, we discussed it a bit previously. It would be... Uh, the end consumer uh, understanding the end consumer and the end consumer being more demanding towards companies and what they can offer and you are mentioning about this triangle so I think this is this is could be uh, number one number two the government the EU is really taking it very seriously I mean especially in Europe in the world uh, can't tell but actually in Europe we are following the laws and how they evolved in it's very quite um, becoming serious in the textile industries and, and at least what it regards to, to, to my domain. Um, so that that comes together and and then the climate change that we can't really um, deny. Uh, hmm. I was speaking about, yeah, flood and this uh, EPCC report that just tells exactly the reality and you might not be affected uh, because you, we are in Europe here 
at the moment. But if you look at what's happening in the world, and you are, I think people get more uh, have more informations. And looking back at the textile industries mainly, I think we have we have a roles to speak about the textile industries that it is not it's not working. Um, and if we if we tell people that purchase items that they have just bought, they will end up into landfill or just into the river in, in in any other countries. I think if we bring that awareness, we'll even um, create more demand from the customers. And so my opinion is like these three items, customers, government, and climate change reality. That would be my, my three points. Yeah, it's funny, right? And um, I just learned that in Denmark, you have a two years warranty for every garment. And, and it's such a simple thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. A lot of brands are going to stop existing. If yeah, it comes you see, because <laughs> <every> brand <laughs> just, just okay. Yeah, you put something on the market, you should be responsible for it. Dot. Punt. Yeah, I mean, we expect it from our electronics, right? Why do we not expect it from our garments? Why not? S- some garments exactly. are more expensive yeah. than. Yeah, definitely. I like this. <laughs> yeah, I, I really think that because the, in, especially in the, lo- the new legislation coming up. In the Netherlands, it's a, a, a it's a very complex process and has to do with a lot of different stakeholders, and it's probably gonna take longer than than what we expect. And actually, the solution could be just very straightforward and mm. simple, and uh, be be uh, be responsible for what you bring in the market because you're harming the planet. And we can think about the textile uh, in other. You are mentioning like electronic phones and mm. spare parts. Uh, actually, from what I know, in France, actually things are really moving ahead. And then we have built a repair index. So basically, companies and products will have a, a rate from A to E, whatever, uh, to understand how much uh, the product is repairable and how much. Is this on electronics? Yeah. On phones okay. and spare well, parts. Some phones are going to so stop to exist. <laughs> so, so actually, the, the, the phone producer, they, they really have to think about, mm. at the source I was mentioning, like how you are going to build your phone. Mm. Because if tomorrow you need, you must be able to take the full responsibility of the supply chain and from the lifetime of your, of your phone, you better need to look for the repair centers at the moment and building the systems and the spare parts and the technology and the knowledges because knowledges, uh, Damien and I both know that we need uh, knowledges when it comes to repairs. Um, and so, yeah, that's, a, that's an important one. And actually, when you talk about like this, it's actually, it's almost ridiculous that companies or individuals do not feel this responsibility inherently to like give you a product that lasts for two years to make sure that if it breaks, we'll sort you out. But like also also the fact that it's taken this long. I feel like ten years ago we were talking about like the idea of having things that are now designed to break so they yeah. can buy more. Like we've known about this, and now like ten mm. plus years later, finally government legislation's coming out. You know, with these things, just that's insane. Hmm. So it's, it's the machine, man. It's a machine. Sad. Yeah, because I, <laughs> it's super sad because repair, yes, repair. We used to say um, repair is a radical act because you're actually taking actions to protect your item and to make mm. it last longer. But when we think about it, repair by essence is just a repair is natural. So just because if, if you break your arm, you will get it fixed, right? And so, if, if so, just to me, the repair actions, it just, whenever something is broken, you just repair it. And so, 
it's applicable on textile but in every industries um, I just have my airpods to be repaired now and I'm, I'm already regretting they'll probably just give you a new pair now yeah. Apple's gonna do they do anything have uh, representers in France actually <coughs> Yeah, they do have it in the Netherlands as well, okay. so I am testing it. <laughs> yeah, we'll Apple's gonna do everything in its power to make you regret repairing yeah. them instead of buying something new. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so frustrating because uh, it's in, in design it's called um, program obsolescence. So you design a program to yeah, be obsolescent yeah. uh, over a few years, and yeah, it, it just had this beautiful program on our hands, this just doesn't turn on anymore. And they're it's like, oh, why? And you think this turned into repairs to, to clothing is it is just um, uh, it's so frustrating if it's just a, a wrap. But it's what's in the case of Patagonia, it's a performance jacket. It's a disco thing. You're just gonna bring to the corner to repair because you don't know how it's gonna look at. So facilitating the service and and guaranteeing the quality of it is really fundamental for for the scale. Of mm. the, I think it's really important for the accessibility of the service. Um, um, and the quality for it to, to be consistent so then people just okay oh that's easy to repair I'm going to send it to repair instead of uh, throwing it out nice and I mean repair is obviously one of the things that are part of circularity like what are some of the other things that Patagonia or the brands that you're directly involved with are kind of like doing you know to become like to close the loop essentially to close the loop. yeah well this is the this uh, five r uh that actually i think even mentioned it in 2005 we are already speaking about this for we said four r which is reuse repair recycled and um this one uh, repair, reuse, reduce. reduce mm. Thank you. Um, um, <coughs> and so this is basically this is uh, under the umbrella which we call one wear in a way. So there's different mm. meaning in the US, in Europe, but this is not the point. I think here we are just looking at how we can reduce uh, in any ways. Repair being one, and then if it's beyond repair, then what you can do is reusing something to do something else about it, like an item, and then you can just transform it. Or if it's not possible, then we have look, we have the re recycling options. So we do, for instance, recycle our organic cotton um, with um, Infinity Fiber, a company in, in Finland. So this is the two other actions, I guess, uh, we are looking at and working on. Uh, that kind of summarize a little bit our initiatives around. Uh, I have actually a question about the Infinity Fiber because they use a chemical recycling process, right? Mm -hmm. After you take that yarn, because uh, it, it, it does, it, you can no longer call it a cotton, but you have to call it cellulose yarn, I believe. We we just uh, this is basically the cotton. It just come is becomes a fiber, mm. and then we are just reusing reusing it to build uh, our t-shirts. Basically, so this is basically the kind of a great example of a circular um, model, I guess. And when that t-shirt comes back, then can you put it through the same process again? Like how many times can you recycle that same fiber through the chemical recycling process? That is well uh, known in the US uh, because they are looking at this in detail. So I won't be able to go into details for data. Oh, okay. I'm not knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. So it's still like very much local projects that Patagonia is testing. Like, because do you have like a global take back model? So anyone? Can not a global. Uh, we we do have these initiatives in the US, and then. 
if we can work together so the, the, the organic, organic tea bag this is a global project but um, East Europe and US to Finland not sure about the east uh, side of the world um, but it's quite difficult because we just want to make local solutions mm. in a way but then what does that mean so local solutions we need to have a certain amount of, <coughs> of, of fiber uh, <coughs> to make sure we can actually mm-hmm. uh, reuse it yeah so yeah it's interesting for us because you know we're still doing this at a pretty small scale mm. um, but just Patagonia is such like a big company so like the logistics must be pretty insane <laughs> uh, to set something like that up it's very interesting can anything be repaired like what are the limitations of the you know repairs that you offer to brands and to consumers well uh, we are repairing uh, almost all our item uh, so we are committed to repair the most uh, possible where we can uh, unfortunately there is sometimes uh, too well loved item that, well loved. Uh, <laughs> will be complex repairs uh, or completely uh, product eaten by your dogs uh, and mm. the leather are gonna flying in the air so that we would be considered as too well loved or too wear too much wear wear mm. in a sense um, but um, there is as well for sanitary reason or hygienic reason that we won't be able to repair uh, socks underwear um, bar swimming gears mm. for instance for or for all the hygienic reason for instance um, and then um <coughs> then we, we leave uh, Tammy's team to, to repair the rest uh, unless for our very specific product for instance wetsuit and waders we do have dedicated repair centers for that again because we need technical machines we need knowledges uh, we need different um, fabrics or um, raw materials to repair it so for this specific item we need to have a, a proper technical mm. repair centers Did you say something about using natural rubber to repair wetsuits? Yes it's called Ulex. It's a kind of a, it's a, a liquid from the trees. Not too sure. Um, it's co- the the trees are called EVA, um, and then we are just taking this uh, liquid from the trees. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Cool. But there's a lot of uh, uh, repairs that come to us that were like, should we call Patagonia? Really repair this because it's really warm way. and. We get that yes on the other side of the line, and we're like, "Wow, that's How? sometimes <laughs> like that's that's highly yeah." So repairs are yeah, it's higher intense labor thing, and some items take hours to repair. Um, but it's really for us when this this case has happened, we're like, "Wow, it's it really stand for the brands." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it 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 also also the items are not able to be repaired. Um, Besides Patagonia, they have their own uh, fiber-to-fiber program to, to, to recycle the items. And we, we connect our partners to brands to partners to, to provide complete circular solutions for the items. Uh, they're not able to be repaired. Mm. Um, but of course, we want to be as close as possible to the repair activity because this is where we create more value to, to the item itself. The more you go further in the air ladder, the more energy you have to put into into the item to be um, uh, brought in back into the mm. circle. And the less value you engage with the consumer, the people that wore the item, so if it's been sent to recycle, the, the bond is gone. 
Um, so I really believe on, on keeping the bond alive. I think it's really uh, powerful when the consumer gets back their item and their well-beloved item can continue a story and and Patagonia they have this board of stores of repairs and it's insane you get yeah, I think so I've much seen a couple of videos of some like so cool. surfer dude that's like <laughs> worn his shorts for like years yeah it's nice have, have you content. ever gotten an item yeah. that <coughs> yeah it could be repaired but it would be like three times the value of a new item so then it economically just it stops making sense um, yes, and that's exactly the case I just mentioned. It, it happened a few times uh, for items are like, oh guys, can we really repair this? But um, that's the thing, um, um, the repair program inside a brand is not one-to-one. It's not the cost of repair per, per it's not every customer is going to send a, their piece of garment that they bought to be repaired. It's a percentage of items. and. The repair activity should be incorporated in, in total sales revenue of a company. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that perspective, the cost of repair is a very small percentage. And that allows to finance a whole repair program for a brand. So um, uh, this allows also t- the crazy repairs uh, to happen in, in a way that creates more impact back to the end consumer and a great story to tell. So obviously the United Repair Center is geared towards tackling garment repair at scale and usually it's kind of like if I own a Patagonia product I will contact you to repair it. But do you also have advice, just general repair advice for individuals who, you know, are interested in repairing their own clothes even if they're not or if they're from brands that don't offer these type of repair programs? Is the question if we from the repair center are going to service uh, that, or do you have advice? Are you saying like do it yourself, or maybe just find a local tailor? Like, what's the best? Yeah, I would say for indi- I, I would say if it's to individuals, but not to companies, uh, to individuals, I would say first just connect with your brand because I believe if a brand see multiple requests, repair requests coming in, where why the company doesn't provide the repair service that should bring the change already and just show that there is a high demand from repair services because we don't want to buy something new from you but we want you to provide these repair services um, and then based on the answer from the brand uh, the second option I would say go to the local tailor uh, indeed um, and yeah try to, to see what is possible for your item and then the, la- the third one I guess the first one uh, it should be yourself fix yourself yes yeah uh, <laughs> Face yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The DIY. I DIY. Think really, uh, really the iFixit. There is a potential do it yourself from the brand as well. Potentially they don't re- provide a repair service, but potentially advise somehow to do it. Indeed, I think that the easiest way is to look at what you can do with what tutorials the brand or what tutorials are, exist on the web uh, or elsewhere. There is nice, easy tutorial uh, videos that you can look at, and it can be. Sometimes it can be just easy, mm. just a, a button, um, and you can connect with the brand. Actually, you can actually supply the tiny trims or spare part or button or deeper puller or whatever. You can do it by yourself. And actually, I think it's a very great activity uh, to do that on a rainy Sunday where you can't go out and just <laughs> come with your friends. When and you cannot just Exactly. Just do something indoor when you can't be outside. Exactly. Or green tea, dark tea. And we bring your own (laughs) (laughs) And actually, this is very, it creates 
it brings you joy because you're mm. actually doing it for yourself. You are just focusing on it. And it just creates your own joy because you are, one, you are doing it. So you are just grateful to yourself to be able to want to, to do it. Uh, and then to be able to use your item again. And so you'll mm. be happy to create more joy while uh, being mm. able to run whenever the rain will stop. Yeah. <laughs> do you think people aren't doing it right now because they just simply have never tried it? Because you're saying it like it's fu it's actually fun, but like, I, I don't know many people who actually like have ever sewn on a button. You know what I mean? Yeah. They uh, don't know how yeah. easy it could be. Yeah, and it's it might sounds very scary because if you haven't touched any sewing machines or any needles you have no understanding on what to start but that's why if you look at some tutorials you will see and you will get you get interested about it because you're like okay actually looking at the results you just get yourself motivated and doing it uh, within the group i guess as a little workshop of friends activity uh, i think um, you, you can really have fun and you can really be proud of yourself uh, with the result nice I like that. So repair your clothes. Yes. Pick up new thread. Maybe right. you repair your own clothes. No. I but tomorrow you will. Yeah. <laughs> that after this podcast, I have to. Yes. <coughs> we're completed too. I got I got like a bunch of clothes that I was like, okay, zipper's broken. I need to bring this to the tailor, whatever. Yeah. Now I have no more excuses. <laughs> Actually, um, the tailor around the corner from my house that I always go to for my repairs. Um, in most tailors, there's multiple people working, and he's by himself. And I asked him, why do you do all this work by yourself? I said, well, there's no more work for me to just do it by myself. Plus, my sons don't want to be a tailor. And matter of fact, most people, most tailors of my age, because he's like 40, uh, 49, 50-something, like, when my generation stops, there's no more tailors in Amsterdam. There's going to be very few tailors. He, is, that, is that a fact, or is that something he just... That used to be a fact until the refugee crisis happened. Because I was the, thinking, the, I yeah. know the guy that's solving this, which yeah. is you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can get a job in my company. Uh, no, I really, I really, that, that's, that's not only to repairs, that's not only to tailoring that is happening. A actually, craftsmanship mm. um, uh, is disappearing and digitalization is pushing craftsmanship uh, out of the map. And you realize that well, some very basic skills are, are are fundamental to enable circularity um, and one of the things that will there uh, are in the creation of future jobs is circularity in in developing countries is the f the uh, education of craftsmanship to the youth today so that's why education goes hand in hand with circularity because you have to educate the new generations to do, for instance, um, yeah. uh, clothing repair, and then uh, you can think of uh, repair of other items. A lot of uh, maintenance jobs are really necessary and disappearing uh, today. Um, that that it, it is it is a sad thing, but globalization made it it made it possible. Um, and we see this we, we see this really happening in, in, in our case that's why we really we, we are creating together with uh, Arose uh, in, in Amsterdam mm -hmm. yep. the United Repair Academy which will be an MBO2 level diploma so it's basically a technical school basic level certification that will give a diploma for, for people to be educated into uh, uh, clothing repair uh, experts um, and this is 
in one side uh, uh, focus on enabling social inclusion and facilitating this to happen, but the other side is because uh, in the future it's going to be very difficult to fight tailors, and so teaching this and giving the passion, and if you're if you're repairing an item that is a a, a yeah a Patagonia jacket to the quality that Patagonia requests, it's it's a it's a hell of a job. And accomplishing this is, is is a reason to be proud of. So we really foster this in the production process and, and make sure that this passion keeps flourishing so mm. it can can get people there they're they're willing to to repair the clothing. Nice. And what does the future hold for United Repair Center? Like what's your three what are your three main goals for the coming year? <coughs> Well, the three main goals for the coming year. Years? <laughs> the year. Yeah, you can say years. years yeah. Starting with world domination. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that the, the bigger picture is really um, creating a movement where uh, repair is just the norm and brands are taking on the responsibility of educating the end consumer towards repair and leveraging on the opportunity of repair and making it cool. And repair is a boring thing today. It's not... It's not, it, it, it is, uh, you're a very educated person that goes to the court and it's a complicated thing. It just should be a cool, engaging thing and it should be out there and, and wearing this out. And and I think for, yeah, the, the coming period for us is really solidifying uh, the the company, making sure that uh, we get uh, the, a, a lot of Patagonias uh, working with us in, in this mission um, and making sure that we get uh, yeah, a smooth running operation that is um, sharing the impact further. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, personally and professionally, uh, we uh, we are committed to to scale the repairs uh, volume. So we'll uh, sixfold the repair volumes uh, from this year to the three coming years. So we uh, aim to do one hundred thousand repairs per year. So we have yeah. our repair partners across Europe. So this is a, a big challenge uh, that we have accepted it. And uh, we will try to make sure that every single repair uh, will uh, master it and provide a great repair and a great experience to, to the customer. Nice. And making sure we can all together changing consumption's mindset uh, towards repairing and not, uh, not buying something new. Nice. Love it. Sounds ambitious, yeah. <laughs> both of you. <laughs> and is is there anything you want to want to say to the listeners before we move on to the final segment of the podcast? Um, don't buy something new. Just look at your closet because you might have something that already exists that potentially have been sleeping for quite some time in your wardrobe, but might need to be repaired. And uh, yeah, create your own joy. Just send it for repair, and just uh, receive it back. And yeah, enjoy the, the next uh, ride with the, this item. So we had something really cool. Is that at, at the office of Patagonia in Amsterdam, there's this mural on the back, which is written, "If it's broken, uh, fix it." And the artist that made this is Sean Price, and we asked him to make a mural at the, the repair center, looking at our story and what we want to say. And he made something that is really the message I like to share, which is participate, the opportunity to repair unity. So I find it's uh, very powerful. Adrian, a wordsmith. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like definitely. That. Amazing. Say it again. Participate, the opportunity to repair unity. Yeah. Okay. 
Nice, nice. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but before we say goodbye, uh, we'd like to pitch you a little scenario. Um, so all our circular curling styles are named after friends and people that have helped us close the loop. Um, so if we were to name a full circle item after you, which type of clothing item would you design and why? Maybe sometimes I repeat the question. A circular clothing item that would that would would design. Like would you you know, say like a hoodie or maybe not even that, it's like a, a circular sleeping bag or whatever. <laughs> what what item would you still would you need us to design and then we would have to call it? One item you would like to design in a circular way. That has your name. You know what I mean? It's like the Go Tommy ahead. could be uh, circular pajamas because he, you know, he stopped drinking coffee, so now he's sleeping like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, that can't be anything. Um, and 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 I'm really thinking um, um, an item uh, uh, for me. Has to do with something that is. Uh, I'm trying to. What is the item that's mostly sold, mostly used? Because if it's circular, you're gonna be able to make it um, a lot of impact. Mm. Is it a, a Levi's 501? Is it a white T-shirt? Is it what is it? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking so far around that. Impact-wise, okay. Yeah, oh, thinking nice. impact-wise. I mean, I think that's why we started with the T-shirt. Just mm. name your bestseller them. <laughs> 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 It's called Hans at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Hans. Yeah. <laughs> that <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, it does. Ma- there, there's a reason why his name is Hans. Um, <coughs> what was the reason our T-shirt is named Hans again? We had a really good reason for this. Well, because our main character in our like Kickstarter. Yeah, video. but why was he called Hans? I don't know. It's my dad's name, but <laughs> I, mean, I think I think Timo just <laughs> or the director was just like Hans, and then was stuck. But now we basically we were trying to like humanize the garments a little bit more. That's yeah. why we also giving them names. Yeah. You know, have like a bit more of a backstory. So yeah, if you guys have a favorite item that is like a staple, mm. you know, let us know, and maybe one day people will be able to wear the Tommy. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. But give it some thought, and then you can always. Right. Uh, if you have that, I mean, relate to the creative uh, mind here. No, I, as so long fine. as you as you, as you name the bestseller, my name. All right. Well, we'll put it in the vault. But if you have any other ideas, just you know, send them our way. And um, yeah, thank you for stopping by. And until next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. That's it, that's a wrap. (laughs) You've been on video before.